Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark, and this is week four in our five-week series entitled, Come and See. Pastor Steve has powerfully taught the first three episodes of this series, which started at the beginning of March, and I have somehow snuck into fourth position here, episode four, before Pastor Steve returns to wrap up this series. And I'm thrilled or or honored to be doing the fourth episode only in this series, for it was our Lord who said to Lazarus in a loud voice, come forth. I know. Not all jokes are gold, but I am here in obedience and, uh, and, and happy to be so. Uh, as we draw closer and closer to Easter, where we will deliberately pause to remember Jesus' death and celebrate his powerful resurrection, this series has become a great resource and a great tool for us as we discuss evangelism, as we discuss discipleship or more, spe- more specifically, as we look at Jesus and those whom he interacted with, giving us a great example, giving us awesome directions with regards to both evangelism and discipleship. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Steve has reminded us uh, what come and see means to each one of us. To those who call themselves skeptics or to those who are in a season of seeking, Come and see is a wide open invitation to examine the evidence given for Christ's role in this world and even more so uh, what his role could be in your life as an individual. For those of us who have chosen to put Jesus at the center of our lives, come and see means to follow, to continue following in his footsteps, to grow in, in a deeper relationship with Jesus. You know, uh, for me as a parent, Uh, The phrase, come and see, actually gives me pause. Um, In a a mild, anyway, PTSD sort of way. Because it's one of those phrases, come and see is one of those phrases that I sort of compartmentalize with the likes of, are we there yet? It's just, I've heard it so many times from my children that I, I think I'm done. I think I simply don't need any more come and see moments. I'm good. With my boys, come and see usually meant come and see what my brother did. It was, a, it was their way of tattling. And uh, I would have to go, and that's usually when I would discover something broken or an absolutely impossible mess to clean up or somebody who needs stitches. Uh, it, it was never a good thing. I, I remember my son Trice when he was very young, learning to spell his own name. And uh, at the age of four, I, w- I want to say, he said, Dad, come and see my name. And so this is a big deal. He's spelling it without help. So I'm like, yeah, show me, buddy. Let's go. And he takes me by the hand and walks me towards the door, walks me outside, walks me towards our new-ish, anyway, car at the time, uh, opens the door and shows me how he has tattooed our light beige interior center console using one of those inch-thick, jumbo, sharpie, permanent marker pens, T-R-I-C-E. Had to have been 12, 13 inches wide. It's like, oh, man, 
Good job, buddy. Spelled it all the right letters. Uh, we, we never did get it off. We sold that car with Trice's branding on the inside of the car. Uh, it's great for resale value, by the way, if anybody's wondering. Uh, my boys, both of my boys, uh, have either started or about to start their own families, and I very much look forward to watching them journey through their own come-and-see moments as their families grow. I will be there, and I will be camera-ready. Looking forward to it. My daughter, on the other hand, a 15-year-old high schooler with Down syndrome, come and see, when she uses that phrase, it has an urgency to it. It has a different tone in her voice. Now, to be fair, come and see usually means she just wants to show me her latest masterpiece, her drawing or something, or, or she wants to show me her newest dance move. But for sure it means, Dad, drop everything what you're doing and come be amazed at your one and only daughter. So, quick story, fairly regularly, I have my daughter with me at the office. I get, pick her up after school, and for the last couple of hours of my workday, she's at the office with me. I actually love it. Uh, I think she loves it. She has her own little place set up, a little craft station where she can do her art or she can watch something. And, uh, and she's pretty creative too, so she keeps herself busy uh, while I finish off my workday. Now she's out in sort of an open office space and I have my own personal office, but I leave the door open, I can hear what she's doing, and, uh, and you know, we're close, but she lets me do my work. Now, every once in a while, I'll be busy and I'll hear from the other room, I'll hear, Dad, Dad, Dad. And if you're a parent, you'll know that sometimes, every once in a while, if, if, the, if, if everything aligns just perfectly, you can ignore it and it will fade away. It will go away. You weren't that needed. But sometimes you have to, res have to respond. But when I'm at work, I usually let it go, you know, three or four dads before I, I respond. Don't judge my parenting. I'm just being honest. I'm being open right here. Uh, and most of the time, she's just asking, hey, can I grab a, fri uh, a drink from the office fridge or can I have a snack? And sometimes I can answer her from my desk without even getting up. So it's all good. But when she says, come and see, that's different. I have to stop and I have to go because of that, that tone, because of the urgency she has in her voice. Now, I think the most recent example of this is, uh, is while I was knee-deep in a fairly important project at work, and I heard her calling me from the other office space, uh, Dad, come and see, come and see, come and see. I mean, her voice was elevating as she said it. There, there was that urgency. So, you know, I'll embarrassingly, embarrassingly admit that reluctantly I pressed pause on what I was doing, hoping that I wouldn't lose the momentum of what I was working on, this project. And this is what I walked out to find. Take a look at this picture. Yes, this is my daughter who had moved the office chairs around and got into this position and wasn't going to move until I came and see. And I should have seen this coming. It's my own fault. I mean, I got the camera out pretty quick. I was laughing and, and, and feeling pain just looking at her. But uh, I should have known this was coming because it was only the day before that I showed her, you may even know it, a very famous picture of Jean-Claude Van Damme in this exact position across, you know, bridging two chairs. Uh, the best part of it was as she got herself down off the chairs and says, okay, dad, your turn. I'm like, no, I'm super busy. I've got stuff to do, which is the only reason 
I didn't get in the exact same position. I was too busy. Anyway, come and see, the phrase come and see is probably more powerful of a phrase than we've even given credit for it so far. Because, you know, there's many ways to tell other people about other things that you think they should go check out. Like if you see a movie, even if you love that movie, I mean, you'll tell your friends about it, but you'll say, you, you gotta go see this movie. You tell them to go. You send them. If you have an amazing vacation, you'll often talk all about it, and you'll, you'll, you'll probably resolve by saying, you know, you gotta find a way to take your family to this, this place. But again, you're sending them. You're telling them to go check it out. But come and see is inclusive. It involves you personally, and it usually comes with almost an expectancy of a response or, or a reaction. If, if you're in a show and you invite your, friend, your friends, you say, come and see me in this play. It's different. You're sharing something with them that is personal, and you know you're going to get a response. You never tell people, you should go check out a wedding. They're so romantic. That never happens, but you do say, come and see me get married. You're inviting them to participate with you in the joy and the happiness of this ceremony as you get married. And even if you aren't the one that they're coming to see, if you say, come and see this thing with me, it means you're bringing them to something because you want to see their reaction. You want to know what they think about it. You want to get them on the same page as you. It's that important that you aren't sending them to check something out. You are bringing them to something so that they can match whatever level that you're already on because of how it impacted you in the first place. We have um, been using the book of John and the Jesus moments that people experience that are recorded in this book as the roadmap for this Come and See series. The book of John, as you probably know, is the last of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and is uniquely designed to teach us uh, differently than the other three Gospels. The question has been asked many, many times by both new and seasoned readers of the Bible, why are there four Gospels? And to dig deeply into answering that question is probably for another series at another time, but a very abbreviated answer is that we glean a little more into the life of Jesus or from the life of Jesus with each of the Gospels that we read. Having said that, John really stands out. The book of John has its own unique flavor, so much so that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often uh, uh, referred to as the synoptic Gospels. Because while they have their own very details, of course, they all tell the same events in Jesus' life. The book of John is different. And the book of John is also accredited as being the most beloved of the Gospels, which is a, a, a funny term for it. Because while, while uh, uh, let me explain what I mean by that is if you ask someone, what is your favorite Gospel? You are most likely to hear, well, John. And that isn't a slight on the value or the inspiration of the other three, but rather evidence of just how this fourth gospel has the ability to resonate with people. Some have called the book of John the spiritual gospel, or the most theological of the gospels. And just to be clear, all of the gospels 
All four of them are absolutely theological, but even scholars have noted that John's gospel is distinctive in regard to the more direct and the more developed ways that he affirms a number of theological truths. And at the top of that list, of course, is the divinity of Jesus. And he, and he doesn't waste a single minute getting to that point, because the very first verse of the very first chapter of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, Jesus equals God. All the Gospels technically have the same message, namely that Jesus is the way to heaven. But we really got to acknowledge that John does this in some of the most memorable ways. Because it's in this Gospel that Jesus uh, uh, tells Nicodemus that a person has to be born again. That's where that term comes from, as Pastor Steve showed us just a couple of weeks ago. John is also the one who records the most famous line in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know it, John 3.16. I think what makes John uh, probably the most distinctive is the fact that it tells us stories that aren't even mentioned in the other Gospels, like his first miracle of turning water into wine, or the story of the, the Samaritan woman at the well, which we heard about just last week where Jesus refers to himself as the living water. So it's no wonder that Pastor Steve has led us to this book to talk about evangelism. Because there's something about it that just clicks with us, almost in a uh, where the rubber meets the road kind of way. Today we're going to venture further into the book of John, picking up where Pastor Steve left off. Uh, We're going to look at a few things from chapter 5 and 6. Chapter 5, of course, kicks off with Jesus healing a man. Chapter 6 is the record of Jesus feeding the 5,000, both of which are famous Bible stories that some of us have read or heard about countless times. Today I want to look at those stories, but also look at some of the in-between details of these popular Bible stories. Let me first read quickly the story of Jesus healing this man in John chapter 5. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. Now you might be wondering in a series about evangelism, why am I including this short story from John about healing? 
Well, it's because in spite of this amazing healing, in spite of this life-changing event in this man's life, he couldn't tell anyone about Jesus because he didn't know Jesus. But his healing told the story. He was living out a testimony that pointed towards Jesus. There's a quote that is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that says, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. The three points I want to leave with you this morning during this message starts with this. Number one, as an individual, the way I live my life will be a witness. As an individual, the way I live my life will be a witness. As believers, we are all called to evangelize, which is daunting for many of us. I I get it. But our lives should outwardly show that Jesus has come into it. Our everyday living should silently shout out, come and see what he's done in my life. Having said that, one could also argue that eventually it's always necessary to use words. We must profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We must tell those around us, especially our friends and our family. We are all tasked with professing Christ, giving witness with our lives and with our words. This is not an option. Scripture tells us that if we acknowledge Christ in front of men, Christ will acknowledge us in front of his Father. Plain and simple. Therefore, the importance of knowing Jesus is critical. Do we need to be able to answer every single question that's ever been asked about Jesus? Probably not. Do we need to know every detail of every second of the day that Jesus lived? Not necessarily. This man's life told a story of a miraculous transformation. Enough so that people asked him what happened and who did it. But it was when he met Jesus at the temple, when he had a conversation, it was after he knew him that he could actually point people towards him. We need to know Jesus to be able to tell others about him. You know, John's purpose of writing this book is revealed quite late in the book. Chapter 20, verse 31, it backs up exactly what we're saying here. It says this, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This book is written so that we might know Jesus, so that we know how to acknowledge him to others. Immediately after the healed man identifies Jesus, this is what we read. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. Now, it seems like such a minimal reply for Jesus, but the Jewish leaders actually knew exactly what he was saying, and were led in on this because it continues like this. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For that little reply? It says, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Ah, there it is. But Jesus doesn't back away from this fact. He actually doubles down. Jesus begins to tell them that he is the one that John the Baptist gave testimony about. 
And if there were any confusion who Jesus was claiming to be, he then said these words in verse 36. He says, but I have a greater witness than John, referring to John the Baptist, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. When we speak of Jesus to anyone, we can rest assured knowing that we are speaking of God. We can know who Jesus is and who we are inviting others to come and to see. Now, while we are definitely instructed to witness or to evangelize, we aren't always called to do it on our own. And I know some of you right there just did a, thank goodness, I can't do it on my own. So before we talk about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 that I promised we would get into in, in, the chap- in chapter 6, I want to dip out of the book of John. I know I literally just spent a couple minutes building it up in, in its significance, but I want to look at something in Luke. Because chronologically, it happens right before the feeding of the 5,000, but it is missing from the book of John. Through this series... Uh, we have been using, with permission, we've been using clips from the Chosen series each week. And I want to show you a very short clip of a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples that comes from Luke chapter 9. Take a look. But I have chosen you twelve as my apostles. You're sending us? An apostle is the same as a messenger, one who... I know what it means, Matthew. That's why I'm asking. You are my leaders. And for this mission I have for you, it's best that you spread out and not be concentrated in one place. I... I don't understand. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time, and while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time. But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Just as Joshua led the twelve tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. What? Why are you all looking at me like that? Uh. Could could you just repeat that one more time? (laughs) I'm sending you out two by two, proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Uh, How soon are we talking about here? There's that word again. I'll get to that, Simon. Hold on. Heal the sick? Cast out demons? While you are on this mission, I grant you this authority. Someday, you will have it all the time. I love this adaptation of, of these few verses in Luke in video form because they show, they show a nervousness that the disciples 
may have felt when Jesus sends them out. And maybe you can even relate to that, that feeling that they might have had. I mean, most likely they, they were like, oh, oh, sending us out, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. That, no, that's, that's your thing. That's, that's what you do. You're the guy to do this, not us. We're like, we're like support staff. Maybe you do a similar thing. Maybe you think, well, that's a pastor's job, or, or that's what Sunday morning services like this are all about. It's anyone or it's anything, but surely not my job. Can't be. Well, Scripture would indicate that there comes a time to stop watching and start doing. But let's examine these verses from Luke that, that, that video referenced a little bit closer. First of all, Luke says that Jesus gave them the power and authority to do the things he was asking them to do. Well, that makes a big difference, right? In the video, Jesus says, someday you will have it all the time, referring to this authority. Someday you will have it all the time. Those words aren't actually in Luke. In actuality, they are a foreshadowing of something Jesus does say in the last verse of Matthew as a part of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, at the end, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the end, this authority was given to them all the time, as the video suggests. And those verses we just read suggest that it was transferable to all the new disciples, which trickle-down effect includes us. We have been given that authority. So knowing the authority we've been given, it should be a boost in our confidence to share. But as we saw, even with the disciples, uh, Jesus sent them out in pairs, not completely on their own. Why did, why did he do that? Because for sure they could have covered more ground if they went out as individuals. I mean, they would have been able to visit twice as many villages as 12 than they did as six groups of two. Well, we have to speculate a little bit to answer this question. We do know that old Jewish laws stated that two witnesses were required for credible statements in legal matters. So it could have been for those reasons. It might have been for accountability purposes, you know, to make sure that they're doing what Jesus asked them to do. I know that I can speak from my own experience being put on the spot that as a young man, it took solid Christian friends and, and pastors in my life who did, in fact, put me on the spot in sort of this sharing moment. I remember uh, uh, just watching um, a pastor talk to someone, giving testimony uh, uh, about their own life, and then literally turn on me and say, Mark's going to tell you about Jesus now, and walked away. And lump in my throat, I clumsily did so, but it did, it did kind of remove the, the fear factor as time went on. So it could have been for accountability purposes. Our, our first point this morning started with, as an individual, my life, dot, dot, dot. Point number two today starts with, with others. Number two, with others, I will have accountability in my witness. And before we move on from this entirely, we, we also can't ignore the power of the message that he was sending them with. 
Luke says that he told them to proclaim the kingdom of God. In the video, Jesus tells them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The video's version, the Bible tells us, was Jesus' own message at the very beginning of his ministry. He was declaring, in either case, that because of his arrival, the kingdom of God has begun, that he embodied that very thing. Telling the disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God was the same as telling them, go into the villages, tell them about the good news, and then say, come and see. Come and see who we're talking about. So then it begs the question, did it work? Did sending them in pairs have any effect at all? Well, as I mentioned, recorded immediately after sending them out is the feeding of the 5,000. As the disciples in obedience, went out in pairs to invite those who would listen to to discover Jesus, the crowds began to grow. These crowds that were sparked out of Jesus' public ministry and and out of the testimonies of the disciples began to grow and grow and grow, and these crowds followed Jesus everywhere he went. Final point, point number three for today, is my witness will guide people to Jesus. Let's read this story, John chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Peter, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but... What good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Now I want to take a look at the Chosen's adaptation of this very same story, but let me set it up a bit. It's not this whole scene. There's a boy gave five loaves and two fish. It is not enough. It's like one or two person meal. Jesus has just given thanks and told the disciples, in the case of the video, to take the five loaves and the two fish and divide it evenly amongst 12 baskets. Let's take a look and see what happens. Oh, how this is going to work. There, you take some. There. Just need some. Give me some of that. Do you have enough? Just like that. Yeah. yeah. There. There. Yes. Anyone need some? Here. It's better than the tail. That's the last of it. Yeah, that's the last of it. All right. Marcus, you can have your basket back. Oh. <laughs> 
That's good. Look. Is your basket full? You see this? You see all this? How? How I'm giving you spiritual food. But you clearly need actual food now. So let's eat! powerful retelling of this passage. When I watched it in preparation for this message, I could feel the celebration, the wonder. I had a smile on my face as I watched this miracle take place. Uh, as a kid, I mean, I guess every kid, but as a kid, I always loved show and tell. And I watched this scene, and I'm like, oh, man, this has got to be the greatest show and tell ever. And I don't mean that Jesus put on a show. I mean, he kind of did, but I don't mean that. I mean, he showed the power. He showed the supernatural through the simple act of feeding someone. In this case, feeding thousands. He showed such amazing power through a simple act. So what was the telling part of show and tell here? Well, just a few verses later, we read, uh, a few verses after we read about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus speaks to the crowd. This was technically the next day, but it was in reference to this miraculous meal. John chapter 6, 33 to 35 says, The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The disciples were faithful in reaching the people with their message of come and see. Who did they want the people to come and see? Who, do, who, do, who are we guiding our friends and families toward when our life and the way we live it screams out, come and see? Who did this crowd of 5,000 plus actually come and see? Did they come and see the prophet that they had been expecting? Yes. 
Did they come and see the living bread so that they would never hunger again? Jesus basically saying, I'm Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. Yes. Did they come and see the kingdom of God at hand? Yes. Was it the one who has the authority to cast out demons or heal the sick or the one who has the ability to also transfer that authority to other people? Yes. Did they come and see the living water that met the woman at the well, told her she would never thirst again? Yes. Did they come and see the one who told Nicodemus that we must be born again? Yes. Did they come and see the one that John the Baptist called the Messiah, the one that John the Baptist said was sent by God, the one that John the Baptist says speaks God's words? Yes. Did they come and see the living word who was in the beginning, who was with God, and who was God, to all of the above a resounding yes? Come and see Jesus. Jesus.